do you have any kind of an outline you want me to follow or anything? Uh, I'm good. I'm good riffing through whatever you want to riff through. Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today, I'm excited to interview my friend Chris Tackett, and I'm going to let him tell you who he is, and we'll talk about why his information and his interview, I think, is so important and so relevant right now and going forward. Thanks for being here, Chris. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the invite, Annette. Great. Tell the audience, the listeners, about you. Okay. Um, Well, I'm somebody who really geeks out over numbers. I mean, that's that's the reality. And I started a project a couple of years back um, looking at campaign finance reports in Texas. I've got I've got a little history going further back because I was a school board trustee um, for Granbury ISD. Um, I got to serve from 2014 to 2017. And while I was serving, I realized politicians local politicians, not the not the ones at the federal level that you're always assuming aren't really paying attention, right? But the ones at my local level, um, when we as a school board were talking to our rep, he wasn't really seeming to, he would tell us one thing and then do the opposite. And I couldn't figure out why. And so I kind of decided it must be the money, right? There must be money in this somewhere that's influencing the decision. So um, started digging into the Texas Ethics Commission website, which is a joy. It is so hard <laughs> to navigate, which is part of where I think people have a hard time following the money. And uh, started putting numbers together. And as one thing led to another, I started tracking like everything. <laughs> and then built a website so people could find it. It's ChrisTackettNow.com. And I've been updating that. And I'll put that in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so all the way through the 2018 election cycle, all the way through this 2020 election cycle, um, for every state House uh, candidate, every state Senate candidate, most of the big PACs who are giving money, I've tracked it all and really found some interesting webs and so, some things that I, I think are, are quite interesting and show where we are as a state and give us a sense of where we're headed. Well, of course, some of my, you know, our fellow either current or former school board members who listen to this know you, they know your work, they're familiar with it. We share it with each other. We share it on social media. It's like, gosh, you got to look at this stuff because it's so real. I don't know if you know, Chris, I ran for the state house in 2006. I did not know this. How did I not know this? I ran against... How did you not know that? That was, that was before we kind of our paths crossed. But no, I, and 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 being on the school board is what got me, you know, reluctantly interested in politics because I always called myself a reluctant politician. But if you were going to make a difference in, you know, in in the issues, and that was you know right after they'd done some of the big cuts, and so I ran against an incumbent, and boy did it open my eyes. <laughs> Just like your data research, I'm certain, has opened your eyes a lot. Absolutely, uh, Being in the thick of it has really, you know, certainly opened your eyes and opened your eyes to the challenges of fighting big money and fighting the kind of the dark money or the shady uh, hidden, hidden funds. And uh, so let's talk about. Okay, so that's your interest in politics. You want to talk about your day job or anything? Well, or just moving, stay, stick I'll, here. I'll say my, my day job 
um, the thing I actually get paid for, because I don't get paid for running the website or pulling the reports or any of that, right? right. Um, I'm a I'm a director of human resources for a big soft drink company, so um, that is that is that is the day job. That's what pays the bills, um, and this is the passion hey, project. Sure, I didn't yeah. realize. There you go. There you go. And, and my wife and my my wife and my two kids have been good enough to put up with all of the the crazy things um, we dive into on a regular basis. Well, I, you know, your wife, Mindy, is involved in diving into some of this, I know, because uh, I'm friends with her on social media as well. And we and we as a public, for those folks of us who really pay attention to this stuff, thank you for shedding light on things that we otherwise wouldn't see. Yeah. I mean, that's a very serious and genuine thank you, because I think it's so easy to obfuscate all the interactions and inter- interconnectivity of really the, the folks pulling the strings right. uh, in some instances. And and we'll come back and talk about your particular kind of local area a little bit, because I think you have some kind of particular quirkiness there. We are there. a nexus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the nexus of whatever. Okay, I won't, I won't add any adjectives there. But, you know, I mean, up in West Texas, I have to admit, other than the incumbent I ran against for specific reasons at the time, you know, we, we by and large have enjoyed pretty good representation and certainly do right now uh, with some of our legislators. But that's certainly not the case across Texas. Uh, may not be the case here forever. Um, but let's talk about uh, some of the things you found, just the interconnectivity of some of the things you found and and all that's kind of shifting right now too yeah the the dynamics are absolutely changing in texas um one of the things i realized very early on was i I knew at the federal level there were campaign finance contribution limits right how much you could give to a candidate um there was controls on that well i came to realize when I started pulling dollars here in Texas that we have no campaign finance contribution limits for any of the statewide races. And unless a local jurisdiction has passed their own restrictions, um, even the local races have have no limits, which means if you have a million dollars in your checkbook and you wanted to give it to a candidate, you could. And and people do. I mean, that is that is the reality, which puts a lot of politics out of reach for for most folks, right? It's all about who you know or, you know, who the person you know, the businesses and things they may know. But when I realized that, I started to wonder then, you know, you started I started to find all of these billionaires who were writing big checks to candidates, but they were also writing big checks to a whole bunch of different political action committees. And a political action committee in and of itself isn't a bad thing, right? I mean, they're, they were put in place to give lots of small voices the ability to kind of bond together and have a bigger voice. Well, what, Like something like Texas Parent Like Pack. Texas Parent Pack, absolutely. Great, great example of a, of a pack that's really grassroots. As you right, so people about. are involved, and it's, it's to amplify. Well, what you've seen some of these billionaires, and it's, it, they're in the oil and gas industry, they're in some of the, the financial management type things, some of the big home developers, they've all kind of been involved in these massive political action committees, and they try and pass themselves off as, as being grassroots, 
you know, that we have this all this support. They have names that seem, you know, very friendly and encompassing and, and all these people must be involved. But what I started to realize were the PACs were being funded by just a handful of, of billionaires. And hey, there may be a small group of people who, you know, buy into the ideology and they're sending in their 20 bucks every month. But I mean, the, the, in large part, you would see, you know, a pack that takes in three or four million dollars and it's really coming from seven or eight people is, is the bulk of it. And that confused me at the beginning because it was one where it's like, well, look, I can write an unlimited check, right? I can write the check as big as I want. Why wouldn't I just write it to the candidate that I'm trying to support? And then once I started understanding that they were giving directly, they were giving to all these PACs, and then all those same PACs were giving to the same candidates, and of course, on social media, doing endorsements and sending out mailers and doing all these other things, you came to realize it was really this web of propaganda, right? Because if I just give the money in one one lump to the individual, then it doesn't have that same uh, ability to turn that lone voice of that billionaire by giving to all the PACs and them creating all that noise. It creates a chorus that for an, uh, a voter who doesn't understand the way things work and who's really behind all of these different PACs, it can lead you to believe that this is a candidate who is supported by this wide swath of people. And maybe if everybody is supporting that candidate, I should too. And the reality is when you pull the curtain back and you look at the campaign finance reports and you really understand it all, it is a handful of billionaires trying to pull the strings for Texas, which to me didn't sit very well. And they even contribute to PACs outside of Texas. Absolutely. To, and they've got in to reinforce that. Right. And they've got in. I mean, in a lot of instances, they have interests in those other states or they'll create organizations. I mean, so it's not just the political action committees. They've got these other 501c4s, right, that are, are set up as organizations that also spend money on elections, on issues against candidates or for candidates that are truly what you consider dark money, right? Because you, you don't know who's giving, you don't know really what's being spent and where, but those same billionaires sit on the boards of these nonprofit organizations. So it truly does become, well, it, it makes it hard for a voter, right, to really understand what's being sold to them because they're getting so many messages from so many directions that are really all driving, trying to herd you to the same place. It's scary stuff. That happened recently before the primary in our local congressional race. Some of those folks you're talking about who were given to the, to the statewide PACs had given to a national PAC to influence our congressional right. race. Sadly, right. they were successful. So that's an exception of where I, I think we might have quality representation or not, but <laughs> that's an aside. So you served on the school yep. board and that kind of got you paying attention to things. And, uh, you know, I mean, serving on school board is, is for most people, it's a, 
it's an effort of passion and sincere caring. I think school board members can be such strong leaders for not only their community, but for the state, because I would argue that they are there for the right reasons, by and large. And, uh, you know, and, and they can talk to the legislators in ways that they don't hear the superintendents or, you know, or somebody who's employed as an educator. They listen maybe to the school board members a little more because they're fellow elected officials. They might run and unseat them, which has happened in some cases. And, you know, so I just I want to shout out to current and future board members to don't underestimate the potential of the work you can do for good. Absolutely. And I can say the time, you know, the term that I served was incredibly rewarding. And I, I loved being on the school board. You know, there were there were two primary reasons why I decided not to run for a second term. One of them was um, my my job is in North Dallas. So the ability to give the amount of time I needed to the school board, I wasn't going to do it at a 60 percent or a 70 percent level. Right. If if I'm serving. Yeah. I'm you're serving, nowhere close. Right? <laughs> and the other thing was I had started pulling the numbers. Right. I had started doing the research and I was a little nervous about being a school board member and reflecting poorly on my district going toe-to-toe with the sitting rep because he wanted nothing to do with us. I mean, was very, you know, we talk about being pro-public education and every single vote was the opposite. You know, it was for vouchers. It was school choice. It was, you know, all of those kinds of things didn't really uh, sit too well. So, you know, I decided my voice would be more effective coming from outside and trying to hit from lots of places where the the school board can do what they needed to do. And I would work to, uh, again, shine shine a light um, in places where uh, there were some pretty dark corners. So let's talk about your shining the light on data. I'm a data person, so I, I, I love data. And you put me to shame. I mean, you're, you're, you're digging, you're, you know, you just doggedness in tracking this stuff down uh, is, you know, yeoman's work. It's just amazing what you do, but you put it in a format and you explain it where people can understand it, even if they aren't data people. You do, uh, you know, your, your, your pretty pie charts and, and some graphs. You do the COVID data graphs, uh, you know, for, you know, that's a new project for you, yeah. I guess, in the past seven months. But I just, you know, I'm going to put all the links to your information okay. in, in the show notes. I'm also going to shout out your little YouTube video that kind of overviews how things happen mm-hmm. uh, in election cycles and in money and in PACs. So for folks who this is new, uh, to if they they want a good overview, that's a really good overview from your link to from your website. Yeah, it's a good start. It is a good start, and it's something I never thought I'd really pay much attention to. But you know, you get you kind of grow up and become an adult. You got to start yeah. paying attention well, to these it, things. It, right? it is and, one of those. I'm I'm an Excel guy, right? I love Microsoft Excel, and oh my gosh, yeah. you and my oldest son. <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm I'm a data geek, right? Um, but it's one of those when I started working with the Texas Ethics Commission data, um, one, it's a it's a it's a very hard site to get information from. 
and especially to try and aggregate data. You can see one thing if you know exactly what you're looking for, but then trying to string it all together where you can have a coherent narrative, it's almost incredibly hard, right? It's really hard to do. So I had started pulling all of that information and I was pulling it into spreadsheets and pivot tables and all those kind of things. And it was one of those, my eyes just started popping out of my head with what I was finding. And, um, and one of the things I did is, you know, because I, I do share a lot of what I dig in, run into with my, with my wife. And, you know, I was showing her and she is not an Excel person, right? I mean, is, a, is that visual learner and the pictures, you know, in a lot of cases will relay better for her. So when I showed her that first Excel sheet, she was like, look, I this isn't, you're having this strong reaction to this and I'm just, I'm, I'm not seeing it, you know, what's going on. And so that's where moving into a pie chart, you know, was that thing to say, okay, let me turn it into a visual so that, you know, now what do you think? And she was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible, right? We have an, we have an elected official who's been bought. And so I, I did what people do once I had that first pie chart and I posted it on Facebook, right? Because that's kind of what you do when you, you find cool stuff. And yeah, yeah. I had people inside my district say, wow, that's great, Chris. Um, but I had people outside the district tell me, but what about my legislator? Because if you're seeing that there, I think my guy's you know, just as bad or worse. So I started making more pie charts and finally got to the point where it was like, okay, that's too many Excel sheets and decided, look, if I'm going to do some of this, let's go all the way and found some really great free tools to help me kind of lay out dashboards and things like that and said, okay, I'm going to take what I was doing in Excel and then how can I make this better? And that's when I started the website, uh, you know, again, chrystackatnow.com and started building dashboards that continue to grow, that continue, I continue to learn new tricks and, you know, find new ways to, to show people data. And um, I think the response to all of it has been really great. And the pie charts are kind of the thing um, I'm known for. <laughs> but they do. They tell a story. I mean, they, they, you know, you can look at it and just intuitively know, wow, if I've got this politician who's, you know, telling me he's supported by all these people and there's one slice on that pie chart that's 60 percent, then that politician isn't listening to the other people in the district. They're really only listening to the one giving 60%. And if they tell them, hey, here's how I want you to go, if they want to get reelected, that's probably who they're listening to because that's who's giving them the money. And in Texas, you got to have money. You got to have money to make it go. You got to have money. Let's talk about data that's out there because uh, for almost 20 years, I've used community data to look at uh, demographic information, demographic shifts, projections, poverty rates, population, ebbs and flows to do the collective impact work I've done here and, and elsewhere. And people would say, where are you getting that information? I was like, well, it's out there. You go, you know, the census, the, you know, there's, there's state level data, there's K-12 data, you know, for, for K-12 information, there's higher ed data, both for the different levels of colleges. There's other institutions like 
or organizations like Every Texan that used to be Center for Public Policy Priorities who collect a lot of data and get it out there. And so, you know, there's a lot of information out there I used. What information is and is not on the ethics side? Because as a school board member or as a now college regent, I don't file with the Texas Ethics Commission. I did when I ran for the House right. or for the state board, but I don't file my local information. Yeah. With the state. Well, the Texas Ethics Commission does basically lay the ground rules for all of the elections in Texas, right? The state and local level races. So they put the rules in place, but the only groups that actually have to file with the Ethics Commission um, are those people who are running for those state level races, whether it's the State Board of Education, um, it's some of the court seats, it is the House, it's the Senate, it's the statewide races. I mean, all of those groups have to follow the rules and they file with with Austin. Um, the same filing rules show up for all of these other races, right? The There's the semi-July, semi-January, 30-day before reports, eight-day reports, eight-day before the election, all of those. So no matter whether you're running for school board, city council, any of these other elected races at your local level, you follow the same filing patterns. But for the ones that don't go to Austin, they actually get stored by the, the group who's running the election per se. So if you are looking for um, campaign finance reports for local level races, you have to know where to go to find them. Some of your bigger, like for the school board races, I know in, in Granbury, right, they're not posted online where anybody can go pull them wherever they want because Granbury is not a big school district. And you actually have to contact the administration office and put in a request. Now, they're very prompt and they shoot them right over to you as a nice PDF file, but there's not anything you're getting in any kind of electronic format. For like city council races, you've got to go to the city offices. Uh, anything for county commissioners and such, you're going to the county offices. Your bigger communities normally will post those finance reports online, but you got to go find them. I mean, I have lots of people reach out to me because they know I, I pull the reports for all of these other races and they're, I'm trying to find this, you know, where would I find that? And in, in a lot of cases, because I have pulled lots of reports from lots of places, you know, I'll go try and find it for them and, and send them a link. But it is one in, in many cases, none of it's in like an Excel type format. It's usually just scans of the actual filing itself. So that means, you know, you're working through through pages and pages and pages, even if it's in an electronic format, to where, again, it's a challenge to aggregate and really understand what's happening. And I think there is an element inside Texas elections that they kind of like it that way because it does make it harder to understand who's behind things. I will put a link to the ethics website as well in the show notes, and I'll challenge my listeners <laughs> to go look up something. Go figure out who your local rep is, who your local uh, house rep or senator is, or, you know, our governor, lieutenant governor, whatever, and go look and see who's donated. Now, somebody else who has to file other organizations are the PACs, correct? Correct. They have to, they, they follow exactly the same schedules, and if, um, they so they always have to file the semi-January, semi-July, right? So that's at the the mid-year. We always get a peek behind the curtain, no matter what's happening. And if they are active in an election, 
right? In any election cycle, they have to follow the same filing requirements as the candidates. So, um, so any PAC that's involved in uh, the that's going to be involved in the general election is giving to any candidates is doing any activity. They had to file a 30-day report that was that covered from you know July 1st through September 24th, and they had to list everybody who gave money and they had to list every penny they spent. So those are really interesting because you got you do start to see you know which packs are lining up behind different candidates and again for me it's which millionaires and billionaires are the ones funding them and which ones are actually getting funded by regular people who are kicking in 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks to try and make sure their voice gets heard. And I would just since this is on education I would encourage educators to don't underestimate the importance of contributing a little bit, just a little bit. Because if you can list, you know, a thousand teachers that gave you 10 bucks or 20 bucks, that's really meaningful. So, you know, those kind of things are important. And unfortunately, educators historically have not been really big in in voting or paying attention to uh, legislative issues or legislative races. Thankfully, that's changing. Uh, Texas EdVote, you know, all the different organizations, uh, you know, the just the awareness that Raise Your Hand Texas is doing. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there, Pastors for Texas Children. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's too many people to shout out to, to list them all, but uh, really some really good folks out there focused on the education issues. But there are a lot of folks out there focused on the not education issues or focused on hurting public health. Right. Well, and I'll say, as as, as we talk about, you know, knowing uh, who your legislators are and to me, how they voted on public education. um, One of the other groups that I am involved with, I'm one of the co-founders of, is a group called Project Educo, E-D-U-C-O. And our website's projecteduco.org. We went through the 2018 legislative session and the the votes from the 2016 legislative session. And we tried to identify 10 votes um, in the House and the Senate that were seen as key votes for public education, right? Whether it was entire bills or, or certain amendments and went through and just looked at the legislative record and figured out how people voted. Because they will all tell you they're pro-public education, right? I mean, that is a standard line oh, sure. from every single legislator. But, you know, our focus with from Project Educo was, look, you can tell me whatever you want, but I'm going to look at what you did. And so we went through and, you know, took all of those and said, hey, if you voted, you know, for pub- pro-public education, you know, cast a vote yes for this or no against something. Um, we gave you points. We treated it just like if you were sitting in a classroom and somebody, you know, gave you a test. We had major grades and minor grades. And I mean, again, we, we, we built it like a report card. And at the end of each session, um, legislators got report cards. And, you know, you as the public can go take a look at the website and see uh, we, we used an ABCD scale. You can see how they scored inside that. And um, when we when we dropped, just like they used on our schools, right. well, so. exactly. And that was the whole thing. And you know, when they 
after the 2018 session or the, the 2019 session, right? The 80, 86 finished yeah. and they released the A through F ratings for our public schools. We decided it was time to release the, the, the report cards um, for the legislators. And we had quite a, a, a number um, who were not very happy with their grades. And when we challenged them to, uh, if they got the opportunity to return to the House or the Senate, then they could do something about that. They could actually support public education. So um, now I, I can say very proudly that we had a very bipartisan group of legislators who received A's from Project Educo. Lots of Democrats, well, a, a large majority of Democrats, a lot of uh, the Republican House members really came through strong for public education. So, you know, it's one where it's public ed's not, it shouldn't be political, right? It should be, we are supporting it because it's good for our communities. And so it is always nice to see bipartisan support for issues that are important to all Texans or should be. Anything else you want to say about Project Educo? Um, well, I'll say, you know, th that is one we have every intention of after this election cycle, when we go back in to run this next session, we're going to do the same thing. Because, you know, there are there were scorecards out there for almost every issue, every group. And it was one of those when myself and a few other, again, passionate public education advocates um, looked for it. We couldn't find it. And and I, I, I get the way a lot of the, the professional organizations and such, they have relationships in Austin and they're trying to maintain those things. Well, we don't. We're just a bunch of parents who, who looked at it and said, people need to understand. So, you know, we, we took it upon ourselves to, to run with it and, and put it out there. And we have every intention to do it again because the votes you cast matter. And, and that's truly where if you're if you're going to support public ed. I, I want to see it on the House floor. Um, I want to see it, you know, when when the Senate's taking their their vote. And it's not just on the last vote for the education bill, right? It's all of those ones that led up to it. Because that is the one the one bill that they all vote for, right? Other than I think Jonathan Sticklin this last time, he was the only member of the House to vote against the education bill. And he's not coming back to Austin. So, you know, we can move him out of the way. Um, but that's the one they all use to then claim they're pro-public education. And that's not good enough, not for our kids. And that by that time, they're kind of fingered in the wind, which way is this going? So they'll vote with the majority. Now, that wasn't true some years back when we had a bill up for the vouchers, and it barely didn't pass. Right. And that's and that's where I think some of the winds have, have changed. And I and I do think and some of it's the, the great work by a lot of the groups you mentioned earlier, right? Texas Parent mm -hmm. Pack being involved, Pastors for Texas Children. Um, I mean, so many groups, you know, really said we're not going to let this happen and and got active and got people mobilized and they showed up at the Capitol. They showed up at legislators offices and they made sure they got heard. So, um, you know, but I think there's a there are some headwinds coming um, as we as we look at public education, especially in in this current cycle. Um, the money is kind of leading you in certain places, which uh, aren't where I would be hoping for. No, there's a big push for charters, a big push for um, funding charters, and a big push from the national level as well. Yeah, but and it, but the thing yeah. is, it's coming from from both sides. It's not coming from just one party or the other. 
Yeah. This this is another one where you've got the billionaires behind the curtain who are playing these games um, coming from a bunch of different directions. So, you know, that's one in 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 years past that push for the vouchers was really coming from the right. Right. That was the the, the push. Mm-hmm. And I think some of these groups are retooling um, because they still want school choice. But it's again, it's a handful of, of really big money people behind the curtains and makes which makes you think there's probably a profit motive in there for them somewhere. Right. Um, but oh, they yeah. are oh, yeah. absolutely pushing again from from the extreme right. And you're seeing it now coming from the left at the same time, or at least purporting to be from the left. So put on your advocacy boots and get busy. Huh? Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it, it, it will be. Um, and especially as, as we look at Texas with you know, some of the budget shortfalls, you know, the things that are going to be challenged as we go through this next legislative session. There, there will be yeah. challenges in trying to roll back some of the gains we, we, we got with HB3 um, this last legislative session, trying to pull that back in the, in the name of austerity rather than let's understand what we actually need for our kids because Texas was coming into the last legislative session was like 43rd or 44th in the nation on per student funding. And even with mm-hmm. HB3, which was purported to be the, I mean, I, I think uh, Governor Abbott said we won the Super Bowl, right, with, with this. Mm-hmm. It was just a couple of steps in the right direction, which took us to like 38th in the country in per student funding. No, I think it moved us just up one notch. Really. Well, it did. Well, so. yeah, it, in the moment it moved us up. And then as other states finished their stuff, yes, we, oh, we did okay. slide okay. back down. But in that moment, we made it to the 30s. <laughs> we made it into the 30s for at least a little bit. Which is still not where we need no, to be. absolutely not. Let's talk a little bit about kind of your area, the Metroplex area, Uh because you've got some really good, strong legislative support for public ed there and just, you know, some rational individuals who go and represent their stakeholders. And you have some kind of extremists or have had, and you mentioned one who's not coming back. Any thoughts on why that is or why we have the extremists or why he's not coming back? <laughs> no, why you have the extremists? Um, well, it has been, look, the, the group who has been behind a lot of the the biggest money pushing Texas towards the school choice to pull money out of public education, there was a group called Empower Texans, um, which, again, purported to be this huge grassroots organization, all about government transparency and, you know, being for the little guy and for the taxpayer. And the reality behind that group was it was um, a gentleman named Tim Dunn, another gentleman and his brother, Ferris and Dan Wilkes, all oil and gas and fracking people. It's where they made all their money. And then a whole host of others around them who all had lots of money, too, who had decided to, to push a lot of things. But one of those was public schools should be we should be privatizing those. We should be diverting dollars out with vouchers. And so all of the candidates who aligned with them um, were, were singing from the same playbook, right, and the same hymn book. It was one where, you know, they, from, from those who were inside that camp who stepped out of it, 
I mean, they they flat out said, look, every day before we went into session, we were being told what to vote for and what to vote against. And so a lot of those politicians were here in North Texas. And it, it is one that I think the true ascendant moment for that group was probably the 2016 election. That's when they had the most um, clout and ability to try and influence things. And as we looked coming out of that, a lot of people started paying attention to what they were doing and trying to expose what was happening. The, the gentleman who represents who represented House District 60, which is where I live, was one of those who was in as tight as anybody else. Or And Ferris Wilkes, the, one of the gentlemen I mentioned, he and Dan Wilkes, they live in my district, my house district. So, you know, he was very much connected um, into them. And so as lots of people started paying attention, empower Texans and being affiliated with them kind of became a dirty word in local races and in some of the, the state house races. And so it started to turn a little bit. And 2018, we saw some of the folks that they had backed start to lose races. And as we look toward this 2020 election, you actually saw in 2018, going into that 2019 legislative session, a lot of the folks who had been really fully in line with Empower Texans realized maybe the uh, the ship may have sailed just a little bit to where, hey, this wasn't going to be something that got me reelected anymore. And so some of those politicians who were Fs on the Project Educo scorecard moderated just a little bit for the, the, the 2019 session and, you know, maybe got to a D, maybe a low C, you know, so they made some adjustments because they knew public education was one of those things that communities rally around. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is you looked at where the Empower Texans pieces really grabbed hold was around some of the major metropolitan areas. It wasn't the 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 core of our big cities, right? It wasn't in, in the middle of Dallas. It wasn't the middle of Houston. It wasn't the middle of San Antonio, but it was the suburbs, right? Or, around those spaces. And and you really didn't see a lot of, um, you talked about, you know, the pretty decent legislators you've had out in, in West Texas. And for the most part, Empower Texans, even though Tim Dunn is out in the Midland Odessa area, they didn't really get much traction out in West Texas. And and as I think about they it, tried. It, they did right, try. But it never took. And yeah. and the and yeah. the reason why let's hope that holds well and and my you know Chris's philosophy or Chris's you know thought on why is as as you get out to West Texas, I think the idea of the either whether it's the romanticism of Friday night lights or just the acknowledgement that you know what my public school is the center of my community. And it's kind of what most things revolve around. In many cases, it may be the largest employer inside that community. People just weren't going to have people whose main platform was, we need to defund, tear down, whatever, our public school systems. It just wasn't going to fly in the same way you might see in other parts of the state. So, I mean, kudos to West Texas for taking the stand and, and telling them no. Well, it's it's been close sometimes, so... We hope we can keep standing up. I just have to ask, Check. is that vinyl? <laughs> Are those shelves of vinyl behind yeah, it, you? It's my record collection. 
Oh man! So as, you so as digital as I may be in most collection. things, I love a good vinyl record and and putting the needle on and yeah. What kind of turntable? It is an Audio Technica um, belt driven uh, turntable. I've got the good dust cover and everything. We've our Bangin' Olsen needs a new belt, <laughs> and I've just got to research that and figure out how to yeah. do it because right now it's it it doesn't play at the right speeds. So. Oh man, mine, mine is <laughs> but we don't mine is right on, and and so you know, and I work from home a lot of days now, and so when I'm not in a meeting, I've got my turntable and my headphones right here, <laughs> so I can uh, have the right experience with my vinyl. I love it. I love it. Just paints a whole new picture of, of the data nerd there. I love it. Well, what else would you like to tell our listeners? Chris? Well, I think we've 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 touched on a whole bunch. Um, I, I I will say, you know, I am a a passionate advocate for for public education. I absolutely dig into a whole lot of other topics. So, uh, if if you if you cared to give me a follow on on Twitter, um, it's CJ Tackett um, on Twitter. Um, you, you mentioned my wife Mindy. Um, she is passionate mm-hmm. about public education and a whole lot of other topics, too. Um, if you wanted to follow her on Twitter, um, it's M- Mindy, M-E-N-D-I, Tackett, T-A-C-K-E-T-T. And, you know, I, I think we, we we try and advocate for, for good things, you know, being good people, looking for empathy, supporting public education. And, uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, we're always we always enjoy interfacing with with other people who are you know pushing for for good things right trying to do good things for their communities well and that's where we first met i mean we've met in person now but but early on it was just through social media right. so like like-minded folks so well chris thank you so much for being on my podcast i will put all those links in the show notes Again, thank you for the work that you do. Thank you to Mindy for the work that she does. And to all those groups we gave shout out tos. The more we can do, the more we can work together and really shine a light on what's important and what's good for public ed and that's good for Texas. Thanks again and thank you for listening to Annette on Education.